You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 241 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? What's Great, happening? Val. How are you going? I'm good. I'm good. What's happening in Gina world? Well, uh, I have just been helping my son adopt a cat and it was such a Aww. beautiful experience and she's gorgeous. Her name is Chi Chi and we went to the shelter and we picked her up and the people that work there are just the most amazing, beautiful souls on the planet. They're just incredible. They're just it was just a lovely experience and then uh, bringing her home to his place and settling her in and she's settled in really well. She's like eight, uh, so she's an older cat. and uh, she's Not that old. So, no, no, it's not that old. It was just such a, uh, a lovely experience. Hard to not take home another ten for myself. I mean, if yes. I left to my own devices, this place would be a complete farm yard and I guess you'd be the same. Mm. Right, Val? Oh, for sure. A little, yeah. I was at the cafe last week and there was a lady looking for uh, some, a home for a kitten who was half ragdoll, half ginger. And I had to do everything I could not to look at the photo and to actually walk away because I knew that I would, you know, really want it. Ginger cats are the best. I've had a few <laughs> ginger cats in my time and uh, they're, they're Is that a really euphemism, cool. euphemism for something? <laughs> Because you like some ginger other things. I love redheads. I find them exotic. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but there, I think uh, as uh, for emerging photographers, I think that going and donating your services to a dog shelter or a cat mm. shelter or any rescue place mm. is a good way to hone your skills and yes. – help out the community because you're kind of having to go in find the best light find the best angles Mm. for these animals and a great photo really helps rehouse these animals so you know wherever you are in the world check out where you're I think there's most cities have a local animal rescue Mm. shelter and see if you can offer to you know donate some time taking photos and it's Mm. uh and do ask your questions and post in the So You Want to Be a Photographer Facebook group and there's lots of photographers that are already doing that and we certainly would love to help you work out ways that you can, um, you know, set yourself up to do those shoots and and help those uh, shelters. I think it's a great cause. Yeah, fantastic cause. Really, really good. Um, So what else has been happening this week? 
Oh, so working on lots of shoots and also working on uh, some tutorials for the gold community and answering their questions and ah, working on yes. first shoots and watching people get their first studios. So we've got people from all, like all ages and all yes. levels of photography. And all over the there. world. And all over the world, which I love. It's, the world is a tiny, tiny place and mm. just uh, – just seeing like where people are in the world and how the weather is so different and like it'd be boiling hot there and I'm seeing images of like washing out in the snow, which blows <laughs> my mind, you know, to, to see that that's happening. So I love working with the Goldies. It's so much fun. And if you're interested in finding more about working with Gina in the Gold community, have a listen to this. Hey guys, are you an enthusiast or pro photographer who wants to take their photography to the next level? I'd love the opportunity to work with you and I want to introduce you to my Gold Community. The Gold Community is an educational resource where members get access to photography courses and regular tutorials. There's over 200 tutorials with more being added each month. In these tutorials, I take you on set with me and I share my thought process behind scouting locations, posing and directing models, lighting and post-production. You get to see the entire shoot from start to finish, from surface in Sri Lanka using a single speed light to character portraits on the streets of Sicily using daylight or high-end studio shoots where I share all my posing and connecting hacks. There's also regular photo critiques, monthly live calls and heaps more. As a member, you'll also have access to my exclusive Facebook group and online forum where you'll be able to connect with other members from all over the world. So what are you waiting for? Join the Gold community today and start taking the kind of photos you've always dreamed of. You can check it out at ginamilitia.com. All right, I am so, so excited about this week's topic because it is how to photograph art using basic or advanced techniques. And I think, okay, I'm excited for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. Number one, obviously, very selfishly, I need to photograph my art or I have a lot of artwork now and my need for photography is only increased because, you know, I need really high quality um, shots, not just for catalogues, but also for, you know, merchandising, for fine art prints. There's so many uses for art. With social media, it's not such a big a deal mm-hmm. because um, you can use, you know, you can use your phone really to to take things for social media. But I, my needs for photographing my art are increased. But interestingly, and this is really relevant because it's only happened in the last week, I actually think there's a huge market in this. Yes. And that is be- and the, the evidence of this actually is that um, in the last couple of weeks, I've been so busy because I've been preparing for this exhibition, I haven't had the time to photograph my art. And I actually sent it off to a fine art photographer, Mm -hmm. somebody who is very, um, you know, experienced, photographs for some very big names, um, is not cheap in any way, shape or form. Mm. And while that person was very lovely, I was actually really disappointed, to be honest. Um, So, okay, that's fine. 
you know, I was disappointed. I can go to find another fine art photographer or a photographer, a photographer who photographs artwork for fine art prints. And after doing quite a big search, these people are few and far between. Yes. Few and far between. Either they're few and far between or they have no idea how to put SEO on their websites or whatever. Yep. So they in and Sydney is a, you know, international city. It's a I, I live in a in the biggest city in Australia. So these it, it the clearly there is a need for these kinds of photographers and clearly there aren't that many around. So if you can add this as a string to your bow, then that's a very good idea. Yes, very and good idea. it's a very low barrier to entry and it's something that it, as photographers you can set up an area in your home or garage where you can take photos of these images. And for you, Val, as an artist, you could easily set up a spot in, in your home, a fixed location where you can save you the time of having to pack up the art, put it in the car, drive it across mm. town, take it to the person and then go back and mm. pick it up, right? All of that, that's time, whereas you could just set yourself up and be able to finish an artwork and photograph it, job done. So that's what yes. we're going to learn to do today and by the end of the episode, you're going to be confident enough to be able to do your own art photography and the photographers listening will feel should feel confident enough to be able to offer that as a service to their friends or even if you're uh, working on growing your business then that's another thing that you can offer as a service and it's a quite a lucrative little side hustle yes because that's the thing is that um, you also don't have to deal with any egos it's a piece of artwork, you know. Yeah. You just hang it up and you don't have to direct it. You don't have to worry about their insecurities. <laughs> it's very straightforward. You get paid per piece yes. generally. Yes. So, you know, you, you're you very clear on how much you're going to make. You can encourage your uh, clients or your artists to uh, batch them so that you can do them all in one go yeah. and earn quite a bit of money in one hit because you've already got it set up. Yeah. And then that mm. whole saying about you're the sum of the six things that you spend the most time with, imagine spending your day with art, works of art. It's only going to make you a better <laughs> person, isn't it? Okay, I'm not sure whether that's what that saying meant, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you reckon, Gina. <laughs> all right. All right, so. You ready, Val? Where, where do we got start? Your notebook out? You ready to take Absolutely. notes? Absolutely. Because I'll be Absolutely. asking questions at the end of the episode. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I think that photographing artwork is something that every photographer will eventually be asked to do. You'll Like we all know artists and they'll say, oh, can you come and photograph my art? Or it might be that you're uh, having to photograph, say, an exhibition opening and then as part of that they ask that you take photos of the works of art on the wall or just taking separate shots of artworks for artists so that they can actually reproduce them, which is something that you do, Val. You paint the original and mm -hmm. some of those paintings that you do, not all of them, but some of them you then turn into limited edition prints. And so Correct. in order for that to happen, you must have 
high quality uh, reproduction quality images of those paintings so that then they can then go off to the printer and be printed and sold in that way. So we're going to cover yep. all of that today. Uh, so some of the challenges involved in capturing artwork and which you probably experienced all of these, Val, is like just the basics of getting the image square in, mm. on your screen. And that's, you know, regardless of whether you're taking it with an iPhone or a DSLR or a mirrorless camera. And then the other big uh, issue that a lot of people have when photographing art, and I know you've had this experience, Val, is actually capturing the colours accurately. And I know you've got uh, a lot of paintings where you're using particular colours of red and you use a lot of gold, don't you? Yeah. And so the other issue that you want to try and... Uh, address when you're capturing uh, artwork is often artwork is not while it's a two it's like a flat medium right that but if you're building up colors there might be texture in that painting and I think it's important to show the texture and that there's you know uh, for lack of a better word lumpy bits in some areas they're just like there's certain different textures uh, in that painting and you want to be able to show that in the reproduction as well and a Big, big, big issue is avoiding reflection. So if you're shooting with huge a highly issue. Hot spots, gl huge glossy, issue. Uh, so what you like when you're maybe um, even acrylics have a slight. It's like a satin finish, so they do have a bit of a sheen, and they will pick up reflections. But then there's areas where you might have an image, a, pa a painting or a work of art that's actually already flat framed. So it's behind glass. How do you mm. not get I, keep, I, I always, when I think of reflections and artwork, I keep coming back to the story of the guy who was photographing, I think, a kettle, a stainless steel kettle for eBay. Okay. <laughs> and he took the photo of the kettle and he posted it, but what he didn't think of was the fact that this is highly reflective and he didn't really check the image. He took the image uh, while he was naked, as you do when you do your <laughs> photography. And so <laughs> if anyone zoomed in <laughs> onto the reflection, oh there he was in all his glory. <laughs> so, That's hilarious. Yeah. So I think you want to avoid uh, capturing reflections. And if you are going to be in <laughs> the reflection, then make sure you're wearing clothes <laughs> or cover yes. cover your bits at the very least. And then the yes. other big issue with artwork is the way that you do your post-production on that image to ensure that you've got colour accuracy and the mm. also the correct resolution for printing. So Yes. All very, very important things. And also there sometimes the reflection is because you might have a gloss varnish mm. on on the artwork. Yes. And often people say, Well, you should actually take the photo before you put the gloss varnish on. No. And the thing is, if you do that, then it doesn't actually look like what it, it what it's meant to look like. <laughs> no, and the gloss varnish and it's also like uh with the gloss varnish will give it depth as well. Uh, yes. And when it's not varnished, it looks flat, right? Correct. Yeah, and that's or like flatter. also with prints. Uh, a gloss print is going to have uh, a lot, look a lot richer and have more depth than a matte print. 
So mm. uh, I think it needs to be photographed in the manner that it, it, it will be seen on, on when it's hanging on a wall. So I think it's important that you do photograph them uh, after. So I'll give you some techniques to uh, avoid those reflections. So I think the first thing that we want to start with, Val, is making sure that you've got the correct gear and settings. So uh, when you're thinking about what gear to use and what your settings are going to be, the first thing you want to consider is uh, the what is the final outcome for that image. So let's just say, Val, that your sole purpose uh, today for photographing your artwork is that you just want to post to social media. It's just going to Instagram or Twitter, sure. right, or Facebook. Yeah. And so for that, you really don't need to go to any more trouble than busting out your uh, camera iPhone or whatever yeah. your phone of you know choice is, and that's fine. But if your intention is to that you it, it is important that you recreate the true color representation of the work and it's going on the website where the images are sold or it's going into a catalogue or it's going to be a reproduction print like you do with your work, then mm -hmm. you're going to at the very least need to use a DSLR or a mirrorless camera with yep. the capacity to shoot in manual mode. It's not enough to just turn the camera on to auto. There are sort of some settings that you want to control uh, and in order to do that, you want to be able to shoot in manual mode. And then the other thing that you'll need is uh, obviously a tripod to mount the camera on to make sure that everything is nice and level and straight. And you'll also need some sort of editing software like Lightroom, Capture One or Photoshop. So, um, all right. So now, let me just start with the basic, basic settings. If you're just using your iPhone or uh, whatever other versions of, I don't even know any other names because I'm so fixated on that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm not even sponsored. But let's just say you're taking an image of a work of art on a wall for social media and you're using your phone, okay? So yeah. what you want – and so I've just – in the show notes – there are lots of uh, good diagrams which are really going to help you uh, see exactly what I'm talking about. So if you get a chance, go to ginamilitia.com and you can check out the artwork uh, for this. Otherwise, Valerie will do her very best to describe everything because she's very good at that. Uh, <laughs> all right, so uh, I've used um, a little painting I had lying around uh, from uh, Van Gogh. <laughs> It's Starry Night, <laughs> and I own that. It's mine. I don't yeah. like to brag about these things, Val, because, you know, I like sure. to remain Gina from the block. But yeah. I've also got a couple of Renaissance. I've got a Picasso on my wall as well, but that's enough <laughs> bragging on my part. Okay. Uh, so Starry Night. All right, so what is critical is when you're taking that image, you want to make sure that when you're holding the phone in front of the image that you're lining up your verticals uh, with the verticals of the actual painting 
and that you want to, if you're tipping your phone, even in the slightest, you're going to um, knock the verticals out of whack. So your, your image is not going to be square. So it's really important that you make it square. So if the painting is hanging on the wall, you want to make sure that the angle of your camera matches the angle of the painting. Does that make sense? Yep. All right. Now, where you're going to get yourself into a little bit of trouble is often a lot of artists to photograph their work, they'll, uh, for for ease, they'll put it on an easel. Yeah. Right? Now, what happens when an artwork is on an easel? It's not um, straight, is it? It leans back slightly. That's right. So there's a slight angle. So if you were to photograph that artwork at that slight angle but you held your phone straight, what's going to happen is your verticals are going to be out of whack. Okay, so really simple workaround. And this also applies to if you're photographing artwork on an easel using a DSLR or mirrorless, match the angle that the uh, painting is leaning back with your camera angle. So if you're using a phone, you just want to tilt your phone at the same angle as the artwork is sitting on the easel. And if you've got a DSLR or a mirrorless on a tripod, you want to tip your camera slightly forward so that the camera angles match. Does that make sense? Yep, definitely. And so then you've got like a nice square image. And that's basically it for um, the setup for shooting uh, using your phone uh, to, mm-hmm. to capture the artwork. The other thing you want to consider, though, is light. And so if you're just, again, using uh, an iPhone or you want very basic settings for your DSLR or mirrorless, the best light to use when you're capturing artwork is garage lighting. All right, so what you Garage want... lighting to the rescue again. Yes. Garage lighting is used for so many things. It's, we love garage lighting. It's the gift that keeps on giving. So you want I to... Reckon. You want to find a an area of uh, your home or the artist's home, if you're going to their place to photograph the art, where you've got uh, directional light that's also diffused and you don't want to have any sunlight hitting the the artwork at all because that's that's going to cause soft spots so in an ideal world if the artist has a a workshop that has like a, a doorway that you can have the artwork in or a garage where you've got like bright sun outside that's hitting the ground and then bouncing flooding in nice flat directional light onto the painting that's ideal for capturing an artwork if you're just using the very, very basic settings. A so of- when you say bright sun outside yep. hitting the ground yep. and then reflecting back onto the bit that's in the garage or open shade, mm. are you saying bright sun with no clouds? Or because I'm a bit confused because you said diffused lighting and then you've said bright sun. Yeah, so, so. when it's when it's inside, you're in an area mm-hmm. of open shade. So let's say yeah. you're photographing the artwork under a, a carport or an awning. Yeah. Right. You just want to mm. make sure that the, the the artwork itself is in the shade, and you want to sure. make sure that that is an open, clean shade. So you don't want to put that artwork under a tree. Because to the naked eye, if you put um, something under a tree, under the shade of a tree, and you've got the sun um, up in the sky uh, filtering through that that cloud, 
The naked eye will see that it's just cloud, but the camera is going to pick up the subtle differences in that light and you'll get a, a dappled light under the tree. Yeah, so let's pretend it's not a tree and that it is a, a nice, clear, you know, straightforward awning. Solid shade, st- yeah. Yeah, I'm still not clear whether you mean bright sun with no clouds or with clouds. Okay, so you can have no clouds or clouds. The difference is going okay. to be that if you're uh, the the light is going to be not not as bright when you've got clouds, but having an overcast day will still work. All right, the okay. light itself will just be softer, but garage light is at its best when you've got pure sunlight it's not diffused it's got it's got more direction it's a harder light okay. it's also a crisper light it's going to have slightly more edge to it so and ideally no clouds ideally no clouds but you know there are countries in the world that don't even experience no yes, cloud days yes that's true <laughs> so um and i'm going to give that that's why i think it's best that you create artificial lighting for these situations but if you live in a place okay. like uh, Australia or LA or I'm sure there's other countries in the world where they do have a certain number of days where you've got n- nice cloudless skies, then that's the ideal that you want to be uh, working in that sort. So you've got that lovely directional light and that's going to give you a gr- perfect light for taking those photos using garage lighting. I've also created a diagram to show you just where to position uh, your easel with with your painting and and also the what you want to avoid is obviously bright sunlight that's going to cause glare on the image. You also do you want, mean bright sunlight directly yes, onto the image? So you because you make just sure, said bright yes, sunlight. So you want to make sure okay. if there's window. Say you're shooting in a garage or a workshop, and there might be windows to the side of the painting, and there might be like little bits of sunlight that are spilling in. You're going to have to work out a way to diffuse that light. So you might want to have to okay, put up, say, a, uh, a like a cheap shower curtain. You might carry a, a few of those in your kit that you can cover the windows with so that the light still gets through, but the actual sunlight itself is diffused. So you're not going to get those hot spots on your image. Mm-hmm. All right? The other thing that you want to avoid is uh, often in a workshop or a garage, you might have uh, little LED lights up overhead Mm. that are going to shine light on the image. You want to turn those off because they're going to also create little hot spots and reflections on your image. Yeah. All right. And the actual location itself is important if you want to avoid picking up – color casts on your image so let's say that someone's workshop where they paint is painted green the walls are green the floors green Mm. the ceilings green that's going to create a green color cast so ideally you want something more neutral like white walls or mid-gray walls or something like that where, where it's not going to create a color cast or often even if you find a nice uh area of beautiful shade under uh, an awning or something like that, but the, just in front of your painting there might be grass. That grass is going to have, like sunlight will hit the grass and then reflect back up, up, on, up onto your painting. That's also going to cause a colour cast. So you want to avoid that. Mm. And the workaround for that is if you've got a white reflector, you can put that directly on the ground in front of your painting or 
a white sheet will do exactly the same job. So you want to make sure that the light that's bouncing around is not green, reflecting off the grass, or there might be terracotta tiles or something like that. You don't want to have a colour cast on your image. So maybe put a sheet or a white reflector will do the same thing. and Bounce some nice light back in. All right, cool. All right. Good good advice. Okay. The other thing that... Garage lighting yeah, all the when, way. When you're working with this, if you do have... And I don't think it's so much in the case of your work, Val, where it's varnished and super shiny. It's not going to show a whole lot of... Uh, actual reflections like the guy who photographed the kettle. But if you've got a, (laughs) um, say, a painting that's under glass, it's going to show everything that's reflected into it. So if you're shooting that in the opening of a garage, everything that's behind you is going to reflect onto that image. So the way to uh, remove the reflection is you can actually work out a way to tilt that Uh, painting forward slightly so that rather than tilting back it's not straight but it's tilting forward towards the ground even by a few degrees will eliminate a lot of those reflections okay okay and the other thing you can do is if you can get your hands on a simple black like a black uh, sheet or some uh, black material you can uh, work out a way to rig that and hang that r- directly behind you that's going to get re- eliminate all the reflections of that artwork okay all right so that's cool. uh, that's working with daylight and the setup uh, for that so like let's say that we've gone from iPhone to a DSLR or a mirrorless so you want your tripod and the best way to photograph art, and not every artwork is going to be uh, created in a horizontal format, but the horizontal mm-hmm. format will fit into your cameras, uh, will fill the frame of your camera nicely. And so what a lot yeah. of people do is if they're photographing a, an image that was painted in the vertical format, right, they'll mm-hmm. tilt their camera vertical to photograph it. But here's an sure. easier way. Here's a workaround you can tilt the image (laughs) and make it horizontal (laughs) and you photograph it as horizontal. Of course. Right? And then you're able (laughs) to fill the frame and and it's much easier to photograph anything from a horizontal format than it is vertical. It's just much easier. So there's like – it doesn't even – it doesn't even register with a lot of, oh, I could actually turn the artwork. Uh, there, there are a couple of things that you need to think about. You'll Often um, if the painting is uh, set up so it's ready to hang, it'll have the, um, the cord at the back or the hooks or whatever. So you're going to have to work out a way to either have that on an easel or if you're hanging the artwork on a wall, you'll have to work out a way to mount that on a wall in a horizontal orientation rather than vertical. So that's just a little workaround on that. Um, You'll need the black cloth for reflections. And next level, Val, you need a grey card and a colour checker. So a grey card is a piece of card that uh, you can buy from most uh, camera supply shops. I actually should put a link to some uh, places where you can get these in in the show notes. But basically what you're saying when you put that in front of your painting and once you've set up all your settings for your 
painting and you've got your Mm -hmm. aperture, your shutter speed and your ISO set up correctly, the first image you're going to take before you actually photograph the painting is you're going to take a photo of the grey card Mm -hmm. or the colour checker in the screen. If you scroll all the way down to the last image in the notes, I've got an, an example of what that would look like. So you hold that colour checker which has all the colours there in little boxes and then there's various shades of white and there's also a mid-grey in there. And you take a photo of the colour checker and the grey card in the lighting situation that you're going to take the photo in, all right? Yeah. And then you save that image for post-production, all right? So that's the very first thing we do and then I'll talk about what what we do with that after. But that's the first thing and that's going to give you a way of knowing exactly how to edit that image to make sure that the colours that you see with your eye when in that painting, the actual colours in the painting match the actual colours in the file that you're taking. Does that make sense? Yes, makes sense. All right. So the setup, and this is really important. So if you're shooting with daylight, and let's say we're shooting in a garage, you've got to remember that the shots that you're going to take, you're going to be taking them at a slow shutter speed. So you can't handhold these images. A, because if you handhold, you're not going to guarantee that you're going to get the image straight. And B, you want to make sure that when you're photographing artwork, that the ISO is at the minimum that you can shoot at because you don't you want to avoid noise in your image. So yes. the higher the ISO when you photograph anything, the more noise it picks up. Now I know that mm. there's mirrorless cameras and medium format cameras out there that you can shoot at ridiculous ISO levels and uh, not have any noise. But what you want to do is start with an image that's as pristine as possible. So I recommend that you set your ISO to 100, which is the minimum, and that you set your f-stop to uh, f5.6 or f8. Now, when it's a piece of art, a flat piece of art, you don't need a huge depth of field, but you want to make sure that it's going to be nice and sharp. And on most lenses, yes. the sweet spot on a lens is a couple of uh, f-stops in. So if your lens opens as wide as uh, f4, that's its widest that it will open, letting the most light in, then two stops down is uh, f8. That's the sweet spot. That's the area where it's uh, considered to be its sharpest. So you want to work around 5.6 or f8. Um, and that and that's important so that the, the actual artwork when you photograph it is super, super sharp. All right? Okay. Yep. 5.6 or f8. Well, my camera will be 5.6. Yeah. And so now another really important thing is that you shoot in RAW. And yes. JPEG as well, so that you can see exactly what the image is going to look like. But it's super important that you shoot in RAW because you're going to take that file into something like Lightroom or Photoshop or Capture One and you're going to edit that file and you probably will need to adjust the colors. And the ability to do that is really limited when you only shoot in JPEG because when you shoot in JPEG, basically, what you're saying to the camera is, 
I want you to take this photo and process it. And the camera has its own profile. Every camera is slightly different. There's a guy called Hans who works <laughs> in the camera shop and he, he oversees the settings of all cameras universally. So if you've got something like a Fuji, a Fuji will process its JPEG slightly different to the way a Canon will or a Nikon will or a Sony or an Olympus. They're all slightly different. You think Hans could have been more consistent, right? Well, it's it's variety. Like when you go into a cake shop, Val, you can get chocolate. You can get chocolate with cream. You can get chocolate with cream mm. and uh, chocolate icing as well. Or you can get cheesecake, which is my thing at the moment, cheesecake. Oh, my God. But there's all different kinds. I love cheesecake oh my god you can get all different you can get blueberry cheesecake strawberry cheesecake so it's like that all these little tiny little shifts will affect how your jpeg comes out so when you shoot in jpeg mode the camera is determining the final output so the camera is actually doing all the work for you and you don't want that and you can only when you get a jpeg there's only so much you can do with that jpeg and it's i've given the example before where when you shoot in raw imagine a raw file is like a raw egg val when you shoot in raw the raw egg will come out as a raw egg. The camera does nothing to it. It just records the image and then you can take that raw file and you can you can adjust it in any way that you want. You've got more latitude to adjust the color settings, the color mm-hmm. temperature or the color cast in the image. You can adjust the highlights and shadows, the contrast, and you get a much, much greater tonal range to work in. When you shoot in JPEG, The camera takes the information from the raw file and it processes it, it sharpens it, it adjusts the color and it adjusts the contrast of that image and it spits out a file, a hard-boiled egg out the other end. And what it does (laughs) is it actually, uh, the color range, the number of colors that it picks up are are much smaller than what you get with a raw file. So particularly for artwork, if you want to capture all the beautiful detail and the tonal range in all the colors it's so important that you shoot in raw file and if you're not sure how to do that then maybe i've said this uh, as as a default just set your camera to shoot raw and jpeg and use the jpegs but down the track when you've worked out what to do with the raw files you're going to thank me because you're going to have this whole archive of image and this doesn't just apply to art taking images of art it applies to all your photography all your images yeah yeah. shoot in raw and jpeg and then when you work it out you can go back through your whole archive and reprocess those images so super important that you shoot in raw the other thing that is really important val is that you have the right focal length for the image okay now You've worked with uh, wide-angle lenses, right? So you've got the 24 to 105 lens, I know, with that 5D that you have. Now, Mm -hmm. uh, if you were to go up, say you've got one of your larger prints, okay, Mm -hmm. and uh, you wanted to go up and photograph that, okay, you you know that you need to fill the frame. And if you were to Mm -hmm. zoom out to 24 millimeters, so you've got this really uh, wide field of view, in your camera and you could get right up close to the image and fill the frame with that image, what happens to the verticals of your file when you shoot up close at 24, at a focal length of 24 millimeters? 
What happens to the verticals what of my file? What happens to, um, to the verticals of your painting when you try and line it up and get everything oh, square if, at 24? Um, maybe it, it goes a bit um, not fisheye, but, you know, the The verticals bendy. will just – you can't get them straight. And then you're sitting there mm. and you're trying to tilt the camera and you're stepping back and it just doesn't work. Uh, mm. That's because at uh, 24 millimetres, it will distort the vertical angle. So you might be able to get one side straight, but the other side mm. is leaning out at the, 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 the frame or it's not, it's not quite straight. So you're never going to get a square image when you're shooting at a wider focal length. So if you want to photograph the artwork so that it's beautiful and square, you want to shoot on a focal length of 50 or higher, which okay. means that when in the space that you choose to work in, especially if you're photographing larger artworks, you need to have enough space to be able to get back and you don't want to be zooming out any more than 50 millimetres, a focal length of 50 millimetres, because it's going to distort the artwork. So you want to make sure that you've okay. got true-to-life, nice square images, and the focal length of 50 and above is going to give you that. Mm -hmm. All right? So, got it. Yep. And we talked about if you're shooting, your image is on a um, easel, you want to, and it's tilting back slightly, and you've got your camera set up on a tripod, then you're mm. going to have to tilt your camera angle slightly so that it matches the angle, angle of the image on the easel, right? Yeah. Okay, that's set up. Now, you want to make sure that you're filling the frame. You might leave a little bit of space around the edges, but pretty much filling the frame with your image mm. and make sure that you're lined up so that you're uh, centering the image um, from top to bottom and left to right so that, that it's all nice and square and centered. Yeah. Okay, so that, that's just lining it up. Now, you've, you've got your... Settings at RAW, you've um, set your white balance to Kelvin 5200 or to daylight and lock it at okay. that. Don't set your white balance to auto white balance. Okay. All right, that's really important. So you make sure that you've okay. set to RAW and your daylight is set to, uh, your white balance is set to daylight or you can set it uh, individually to the Kelvin temperature, which is the uh, measuring scale for color temperature to 5200K. And okay. every camera is slightly different. I'd be here for three weeks if I went in and <laughs> described how to do it. It's really simple to change that. Sure. All right. And then you've got your ISO and your f-stop set at 5.6. Now, in the light, in the daylight setting that you have, you just need to change your shutter speed. So you click, uh, you know, slow it down and slow it down mm -hmm. until you've got your uh, a neutral setting on the light meter of your camera. Yep. Okay, yep. so you want it zeroed, which means you're yep. in the correct light. Does that make sense? Yes. All right. Now, probably if you're shooting at a low ISO of 100 and an f-stop of, say, f5.6, your shutter speed is going to be quite slow. It might be an eighth of a second, a quarter of a second. It might even be one second, depending on where you are in the world and how bright it is. So yes. it's super, super important that you don't just, even though your camera is on a tripod, and if you've got, I know you've got a better tripod now, Val. Yes. But if you just say you didn't have that heavier tripod that I made you buy. 
Yes. That you've now got a, say you've got a flimsier tripod, you can make yes. that a lot more secure by uh, hanging a weight off the bottom of that tripod so that it, it, it's not likely to be moved or, or knocked. So like you, Gina's famous sandbags. Gina sandbag. actually actually makes her own sandbags. She gets sand and she sews her own sandbags. Yeah. Or you can get like a one of those green bags from the supermarket and some supermarket chains uh, have black bags uh, which are a little bit sexier and then what you can do is you can carry water bottles. In fact, the colour of the bag is irrelevant. It is irrelevant but it can look a bit daggy when you've got the green bag hanging off your tripod. You want to look cool as a photographer. It's important. It makes you work 5% better. Um, okay. You can hang a um, a bag off the the center of the tripod. A lot of tripods even have a hook where you can hang a weight off, and you can just carry to the job, say, uh, a couple of one liter empty water bottles. And then when you get to the job, fill them with water, and that's uh, one liter of water is one kilo or two point two pounds, I think. Is that so? That that'll hold your uh, tripod nice and steady that's a good idea and you can use that trick when you're doing long exposure for landscapes as well so making sure that your tripod is nice and steady the shutter speed is going to be quite slow so more than likely it'll be less than a 15th of a second if you were to just like to press the shutter and take the shot you may risk having a slight amount of camera shake and while for a maybe a tiny image that's not going to matter. If you're blowing that image up, uh, it's going to be huge. A small amount of camera shake is going to make a big difference and it's going to be yes. slightly out of focus. So that's you don't want to have any camera shake. So what you can do to avoid that is there is a, uh, a timer on the shut, within the shutter speed. You can delay the shutter by, say, 15 seconds so that what, yeah. what you do is you press the shutter and the camera will wait 15 seconds before it actually takes the shot. And so that gives it time. As you press the shutter, there might be a little bit of shake. It gives the camera time to steady itself and relax, take a breath, and then it will take the shot for you and you will avoid that camera shake. Mm-hmm. All right? That makes sense, yes. All right. So um, and then you obviously you're shooting at a minimum of 50. Uh, the longer you get the, the kind of the, the, the narrow, narrower your field of view, so you'll need to make sure that you're stepping back even further, but 50 is a good uh, way to start. And then if there are reflections and you've got, say, something that's behind glass, again, you want to put that black up behind you to avoid that. Um, getting any of those reflections. And so that's basically yeah. the uh, simplest uh, way and setup if you're just shooting daylight, Val. All okay. right. Now, Great. and making sure that you're turning off all the lights, other ambient lights in the room. Now, this. So, yeah. So hang on, when you're shooting daylight, but make sure you turn off all the other lights in the room. Yeah, because you're um, going to get color casts on your image. Right, okay, so, so you might, if you're in the garage. Yeah, or, so you might have like right. a fluoro, there might be a lamp yeah, in the okay. back of the room, right. there could be four different colour types of um, yep, yep, globe yep. that are going to affect. Now, so this is at the very ba the, the most basic way to photograph your art and I would recommend this 
for maybe for social media posts or to catalog your art, but I wouldn't be using this technique to make prints from or sure. to for catalogs and things like that where it's a bit more important because the problem with this type of lighting is it's never going to be consistent. So yeah. you might have got like one day where you shot and it was midday and it was bright blue skies and beautiful sunlight and you had that lovely directional light coming in and you got this really crisp beautiful light on the image and and that's one image out of a collection of say seven images a series okay and then yeah two weeks later you go to photograph the next image uh next painting from that series and it's a uh thundery overcast day yes. it's poop Poopy light. Poopy light. Kaka light. Kaka light. Poopy kaka. It's really flat and it doesn't have any Mm. edge or any sparkle to it. That's what your painting's going to look like. Yeah. It's not going to have that because I'm sure that that there'll be like the colors don't glow like they do when they've got beautiful directional light on them. Correct. It's not consistent. And that's why this sort of technique is okay if you want a reference or you just want to, you know, share a quick image of the painting but it's not ideal the most ideal way to photograph your artwork and the most consistent way is to use lighting okay lighting. okay so what kind of lighting you can either work yeah so be indoors and have lighting is your suggestion if you want yes and so um if this is something that you want to do on a regular basis as a photographer then i would find an area of your home that you can set up and even leave the setup you know that all you're doing is bringing in the painting and everything else is set up and ready to go so you can work with either continuous light or flash and the good news is that the setup is exactly the same the outcome is only the the outcome will look the same but working with flash you're going to have slightly more power than you will with continuous lighting continuous lighting is going to be uh, a lot less power and so your shutter speed will be a lot slower but you're going to have this Um. consistent workflow where everything looks exactly the same so for you Val I would recommend that you bust out that set of continuous lights that you bought ages ago. Do you still have those? Somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, and let me run through the setup first and then I'll... They are not very powerful. They will be enough. You reckon? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I've included another diagram to show you how to and how not to photograph your light. Now, this will work with a couple of um, desk lamps. It will possibly work for a couple of lightsabers, uh, not as well. (laughs) Uh, There is an international sporting body, I think, that has allowed uh, lightsaber fighting to be allowed as a sport. Can you imagine? Really? Yeah. That can't be like... probably. Why would I make stuff up, Val? Uh, So it could be a a couple of desk lamps that you have or it could be a couple of... Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Super cheap. Um, uh, Valerie will be Googling that as I'm continuing to speak. (laughs) Super cheap continuous lights that you can buy online or you could do this uh, technique using the same lighting setup for two speed lights or you could do it with two studio lights. 
but the setup is exactly the same regardless. I have a of question. What, yes. You know, like when you go to Bunnings yes. or whatever hardware store yes. is in your country, Home yes. Depot, and you know how like tradies, uh, that's tradespeople. <laughs> um, just if you uh, want to Australianize anything, just shorten it and add I E S. Yeah. Or O. You know how? Or O. Yeah. You know how tradies, um, they can you can buy the these work lights. From Bunnings, yes. that so they can see their carpentry or their plumbing or the, yep. like, their electrical work or whatever when there's a dim light. Um, what do you think of those, or are they just basically crap? All right. So the the reason that some lights are really cheap and other lights mm. that are particularly uh, you know studio continuous lights and mm. the the brighter they are, the more expensive they become. It all comes down to the uh, globe and the type of output of the light and it all comes down to something called the CRI which is Valerie the color rendering index that's correct okay <laughs> well done the, the color rendering index yes. so basically <laughs> um, with continuous lighting uh, even though it all behaves the same it always travels in a straight line um, and it'll light things up, the type of light is going to affect the output of that light or the, the, the color cast you'll get on that light. So something like a tradies work lamp, which uh. the job of that is to illuminate a large space so that Davo can get down and put the two bits of wood together and build a table for you, right? Or Jono or... Jono, Mingo. Robbo. Uh, yeah. yeah can do that mm-hmm. and they can see. So, the, the you know, when you're illuminating large areas, the best way to do that is to use a fluorescent light bulb and there you see those in um, large halls, shopping centres have fluoro lighting, nightclub bathrooms, much to my disgust, always have fluoro lighting and so do mm-hmm. change rooms when you're trying on swimwear, fluoro lighting. Mm-hmm. Big mistake, mm-hmm. people. Cause, because it shows everything. It's a very bright, clean light, but it's not particularly flattering. But um, there are fluoro lighting that you can change the color of the tube from a cheap. Do you remember the like the old-fashioned fluoro lights? If you took a photo with your camera and you got your photo back from the chemist three days later, <laughs> it would have a green cast on it? Yes. Right. That's because yes. the old-fashioned fluoro lights uh, had like a, a green colour cast to them or the ones that they use in butcher shops have a red colour cast because red on red meat makes the meat look a lot more um, appetising, right? Okay. But you can get fluoro lights that are daylight balanced and so uh, for a lot of my uh, makeup studios uh, where they do the hair and makeup for models, always have a daylight balanced tube in those fluoro tubes so the face is beautifully eliminated and it's a really clean light that is exactly like daylight clean pure neutral all right yeah so that's what you're looking for if you're going to get a couple of uh, davos work lights to photograph your paintings which will work val but you want to make sure that it's a, a nice pure light source and daylight balanced or neutral Okay. Got All right. It. Now, if you're using um, 
And then there's other types of continuous light like LED and um, and LED lights can also be uh, daylight or tungsten balanced and tungsten lighting is a lot warmer and you can still photograph your artwork with this kind of light but you need to make mm -hmm. sure that you correct the white balance in post-production. That's why it's absolutely critical that you take that initial frame with a grey card mm. and a colour checker so that you can do a white balance adjustment in post-production and that is telling the software that this is the neutral spot in this image. This is mid-gray and I want you to change all the settings of the uh, individual pixels in that uh, image to match that. And Lightroom or Photoshop, when you do that, will very cleverly adjust everything so you end up with an image that looks like the original. Smart, huh? Yeah. But you smart. can't do that with guessing. That's why you must okay. have that, that, that first step is using the grey card or the, um, the colour checker to match the colours. All right. So what I was suggesting to you, Val, is you have those yes. two continuous lights and they're both. Yes. And what's important is that the lights, the two lights that you use should be the same lights because you want to yes. have uh, even lighting across the image. And if you've got a larger canvas... And say you've got one light that's uh, a certain power and the second light is a different power, you're going to be having to uh, tweak the lights, move one forward, move one back yep. to get them even, pain in the neck, yep. right? So you want to make yep. sure that if you've got two lights that are the same, it's going to make your job a lot easier. Now, in your um, cheapo continuous lights that you bought, uh, mm. what's good is they come with a light stand. No, it's not yes. always fantastic. Sometimes the, the screws aren't amazing and they're a bit <laughs> rickety. I remember yours were like super yeah. rickety, but they did the job, right? Yeah. yeah. The, the cheapest part of that entire setup will be the globe and that's the most yeah. important one. So you can, you can go and get yourself a $100 light kit off eBay or mm -hmm. something and mm -hmm. then take out the globes and change yeah. them for a uh, a light globe that has a very high CRI rating, so color rendering okay. index. So, and what you want is a good light. So, if you go into a globe shop and you look at the side of the globe, you want to find one that's got a rating of eighty-five or higher. And when you have a higher rating, it's going to be a purer light source much purer, okay. cleaner light source, but it's going to be a more expensive globe. So you might up, end up spending another $100 on the two globes. But okay. you're going to Got then it. have a really good kit with nice, pure lighting, and you can actually make those globes uh, a bit brighter. So there's lots of different And where do you the buy market. the globes from? Uh, from a light supply, globe supply shop. Just a normal lighting shop? Real, normal lighting shops, yeah. Yeah, but okay. then you can also go to like you, there are specialist places as well that you can um, buy them from. But that's sure. the thing that you want to be looking at: the CRI mm -hmm. rating of the globe, the eighty-five yeah. or over, will give you, uh, and preferably like a ninety plus is going to give you uh, no color cast. And when you get the the cheaper lights, they'll either have some red in them or they'll be a bit green or a bit blue. Yeah. And that's not yeah. going to help you create a right. um, a nice copy of your work of art. Accurate. Because yep. it's going to have a color cast on it. Got it. 
All right, and the same goes yeah. for uh, buying the the tradies fluoro. But you know, start if you've got a couple of those ten dollar tradie lights, start with that as working, and that give, that will give you at least an understanding of where to place the lights to get the the best uh, exposure for your images. Okay, All right. So Gina has a couple of diagrams of where to place the lights uh, in the show notes, and. Um, uh, so the ones that you've got here, the diagrams yep. are with umbrellas. Mine's the softbox, but yep. it'll be same thing. Yep. Um, so the interesting thing is that it's counterintuitive. Yes. So one image that Gina has has you know the artwork on the wall, and what you imagine the where you imagine you would place the lights are well obviously in front of the artwork shining onto it yep um kind of like um at a 45 uh, degree angle basically yeah at a 45 degree angle but in fact Gina's got a big cross next to that diagram and the diagram that she's got a big tick a green tick next to is where you have the artwork, but then you, instead of having the um, lights at a 45 degree angle to the artwork on kind of like either side of the artwork, uh, they're actually facing each other. Yes. Right. Right. And this so is like, now here's the good news, Val. You don't even need an umbrella to uh-huh. work with lights in this way. You can have naked bulbs. Not naked right. like that guy with his kettle. <laughs> naked bulbs, so you don't even need the umbrella. And I was um, or the softbox. Yeah, you doing... can you can still have the softbox if you want. You could have a softbox. You could have nothing. You could just have the bulb. Yeah, right. As right? long as they face each other and facing each other, and you're going to but... illuminate your uh, image, and you're not going to have any uh, hot spots on your image. What you will need to do yes. is. Depending on the focal length that you're shooting at, so um, I'm doing this with my arms, and this is a, like a <laughs> where we, you, you're listening to this, so just bear with me. But like, just imagine shooting at 24 millimeters. I've got my arms spread either side of me, right? Yeah. Because that's the angle of view you see when your camera is shooting at 24 millimeters. It's picking up everything in the room, right? Yes, as you yes. zoom in, the angle of view becomes narrower and narrower. Yes. And so if you've got a 24 to 105, if you've okay. zoomed into 105, the angle of view is very, very narrow. Okay. Yeah. And so that angle of view coupled with the position of your light is going to influence where the hot spots are or reflections are of your image. So right. using that, the... If you've got your lights at 45, they're actually it's it's going to be very very difficult to avoid uh, getting any hot spots of on your yes. image. But you can move those lights out further and further uh, either side of the painting, and you might eventually miss uh, not get any hot spots on your image. But if you want to guarantee no hot spots and get a nice even uh, illumination either side of your image then you yeah. face the um, lights towards each other. And as okay. I said, you don't Got necessarily it. need to use an umbrella or a softbox. This will u- work with uh, naked flash or naked yep. uh, continuous so, lights. if you're shooting indoors yes, and um, is your suggestion turn the regular lights off? Uh, if you're shooting with continuous lights 
uh, I would because if you're at a slower shutter speed, that the, any other light source is probably going to put a color cast over your image. If you're shooting with flash, then no. And the, okay, and, so yep, you go on. So, so that with flash, uh, it, it won't be affected. But as a general rule, just find yourself a, a space where you can, yeah, not have any overhead lights that may okay, influence that. Okay, sh- but. Does it make any difference whether you're shooting in the daytime or the nighttime? No, here's the beauty, Val, and here's why I I actually recommend that you set this up with two speed lights. Um, You could be shooting at, I know, your favourite time and your most um, creative time is probably (laughs) 3am, right? So um, you could have this set up, two speed lights, exactly that setup that I've shown you there in in a a space Mm. that you've got enough space to get back from. And you could happily photograph your light, your paintings that way. So the lights never move or you mm. mark the floor where they go and you don't actually mm. change the settings of your speed light. You just bring them in, set them up, bang, and every single painting will look exactly the same. All right. So if I'm doing this at 3 a.m. Yes. and I have my continuous lights because that's what yes. I've got at the moment, I can... And I will have no other lights on in the room, but the continuous lights will be on. They will be in front of the painting but facing each other as if they are two people having a conversation and they're ignoring the painting. Yes. And then you would shoot that way. But obviously it would be a very slow shutter speed. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you could get brighter continuous lights. You know, that yeah. look like you've turned the kitchen lights on or something like that, whatever. Like you could get a couple of fluoro daylight balanced lights and do yeah. that exact technique. And the other suggestion for you, Val, when you're working with, um, if you're going to work with continuous lights, is I'm sure like you've got those little flecks of gold in your image that you can never actually mm. pick up, right? Yeah. So yeah. what I would do for that is take two exposures. One is mm-hmm. the correct exposure for the entire painting and yeah. two is another exposure that you're just exposing for the gold. So you might um, yeah. brighten that up. Shine or, or, something or, onto or, it. Or, or, yes, or even just get a little daylight balanced torch and just flick it at light painting over that area. And if you had three or four spots. Or just reflect some light into it. Exactly. Yeah. Like, if you um, had, yeah. But yeah. you could do that with, um, yeah, three or four different exposures if you had three or four different areas and then you bring yep. those all those images into Photoshop, stack them yep. as layers and then you could, using layer mask, which uh, all the gold yep. members are just experts in now because that's all I make them do. And it's a very mm-hmm. important part of uh, editing your images to be able to work with layer masks. Then you can just uh, bring out the areas you want to bring out and um, hide the areas okay. that you want to hide. S- so not everyone is like me and works at 3 a.m. For yep. the 3 a.m. For those people who want to shoot in the daytime, mm. but indoors, yep. uh, same principle, and you would just have a different shutter speed, or yeah. So you change your shutter speed, and you want to make sure that you like if there is a window to the left of that image and there's sunlight streaming in, you're going to have to deal with that window. Sure. So you might want to put up a yeah. curtain. So what you want to do is make sure that whatever workspace you have. That light is consistent. The light before you turn on the lights is going to be the same every time. So when you turn off the overheads, 
you know, ideally you'd be in a garage where there wasn't any other light leaking in or coming in from any mm. other angle. And is the actual the the work lights or the continuous lights that are on the painting are going to be the same every time. Mm. Okay, great tip. All right, and so it th- that will apply. As I said, use these angles, and it is you could have a a photo behind glass or a painting behind glass and you Mm. won't get a reflection. What you might need to do is uh, where the lights are, you might need to move them back slightly, okay? So if you see a reflection on your painting or or then just move the the lights uh, back away uh, either side, left or right. And um, back them up a little bit, and then that 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 should get rid of the uh, reflection. But that's the only thing you really need to do. And um, in this instance, a light meter is your friend. It, it'll help you. It takes the guesswork out of uh, finding out what the correct exposure is because you're trying to get the right amount of light to to give you f five point six, right? Mm-hmm. So you, if you don't have a light meter, you're just going to have to chimp away until you've got. Yeah. The uh the light evenly across the entire painting. So you don't want one side brighter than the other. You want it even yeah. all the way across. And if in doubt, go for the slightly underexposed than the overexposed. Uh you don't want to blow your highlights because if you blow the yeah. highlights, you're never going to get them back. So uh yeah. digital so photography, yes. yes, because you can always retrieve the um and and also Val, if in doubt, it's like uh it's not going to kill you to just bracket. So if your setting is mm. f8 mm. at ISO 100 and a shutter speed of say um a 15th of a second, what you can do is just change the f-stop so you can bracket half a stop either way. So you can do yeah. f8 and a half, right? So that's half a stop yeah. uh, underexposed. Or you can shoot at f5.6 and a half, which is half a stop overexposed. And then you've got yeah. three exposures to work with. And that, as a general rule, when you're shooting products, anything that doesn't move, that's always a good idea yeah. to do. Okay, great, fantastic advice. All right, so that's the setup and um, pretty much Mm -hmm. uh, everything that you need to do. Uh, The other one final thing is if you've got a painting that you know how some painters really pile on the paint, it's just like it's Mm. almost like a landscape. It's Mm, so thick. mm, It might mm. be like three inches of paint that sticks out in some areas and in the other areas it's really thick. That sort of image, I think it's really important that you capture the texture and it doesn't that, – that's probably a bit extreme, three inches of paint. But there, there, there are obvious areas of uh, texture in the image. What you can do is you want to do something called raking the light across the uh, painting. So you want to have – and using this technique where the, the light is going directly across the painting, what you can do is once you've got your setup and you've got your flat look – Um, down pat you might want to play with uh, the exposure and you may want to take one light and uh, reduce the um, output by maybe half and so what you're doing now is modeling your image so you're adding a bit of uh, texture so the light will be coming from say right to left 
um, mm-hmm. and probably t- knocking it back by half is a bit much, but you want to make sure that uh, you, you see the subtle differences in the texture. And that's kind of next level stuff, but that's that's definitely something worth playing with and showing the texture of your uh, painting as well as uh, showing the colours. Fantastic. All really great advice. I love it. All right. And it's pretty easy to set up. Do you reckon you'd have a go at that? Yeah, I've got to go find my lights now. They're somewhere. And even, um, yeah, just doing that, but but I would get you onto two speed lights with two umbrellas and just put them on full power, Val. Yeah, right. And photograph mm. your artwork at like F16 or something. That would work. All right. Mm. You could – and then okay. imagine – how 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 good that would be that you finish a painting, you take it into your photography room, mm-hmm. set it up. It's all set up. Nothing moves. You could even mount the lights from the ceiling, Val, so that there's no – there are things that you – there are these attachments that you can get where you can uh, mount lights from a ceiling. Oh, wow. Right? And it's all mm-hmm. set up. It's con- You just turn on the lights. The tripod is there and you just m- like move it back or move it forward. It's all ready to go and bang, there's another image recorded. Yeah. You could do three in one go or something. In- yeah. Quicker than even getting in the car, Val, to go drive <laughs> to the artist to photograph them. Okay. Do you have any suggestions for people on um, maybe we can put the link in the show notes on – if they wanted to get speed lights, what would be appropriate ones? Two young newers to start with, they're $80. Okay. You could probably get a set with a trigger for under $200 with the umbrellas mm. and a couple of, you know, cheap stands. Fabulous. You know, that's that's the, the cost of getting one painting photographed I or know. half of really isn't it i know yeah so for, oh for, for artists i think that there's one investment which is like you know that's it and then the the color checker as well and you're set all right and so there the final, you have it. final stage val is to just bring that uh image that raw file into lightroom um there is i think i'll put a link in the show notes about there is an entire episode just trying to find it. So ep- photo one, two, two on working with continuous light. Got a light. How to work with continuous lighting explains all the different kinds of light and where to get them. And there's also an image on uh, an, an episode on white balance and how to do that, and which takes you through step by step uh, in in the episodes there. So, but basically, bring the um, file into Lightroom or Photoshop, and then you've got to do a white balance off your grey card. And as I said, that will tell the uh, software that this is the neutral tone in the image and it will adjust all the other colours accordingly. And then you've got, when you photograph it with a colour checker, which is basically a card that has all the different colours on it, you can then match the original colours. You know what the colours look like. And then you can render that image um, true to life to the, to the yeah. uh, painting. And then there's um, another episode on how to reproduce your um, photos for print, which runs through uh, – we'd be here for four hours otherwise, Val <laughs> – which runs through um, uh, colour profiles and uh, working with printers and all of that. So 
Um, but I wanted to get you set up. I know you can actually be photographing your own artwork. Cool. Fantastic. And uh, a wonderful opportunity also for other photographers who want to add another string to their bow because, as I discovered last week, the, this service is as rare as hen's teeth, in a, even in a big city like the one I live in. So uh, make sure you check it out. And so I'm just uh, uh, recording a uh, tutorial on this for the gold members because I've got quite a few that are actually doing this uh, as well as a bit of a side hustle, so just to help them out as well. Fantastic. All right. And uh, where do we find you online, Gina? And where can people find out more about the gold community so, as well? GinaMilitia.com, G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. I'm on all social media, Instagram and Twitter at Gina Militia. I'm in the So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community Facebook group. That's free to join. Uh, check that out. Uh, if you were uh, subscribed to my newsletter, you would have got a nice little gift. I felt like Oprah. This week, Val. Ah, you get a car and you get I a car did. and you get a car. I did. <laughs> I gave away a Lightroom preset pack with seven presets, the travel pack. So um, if you've used those presets, you're a newsletter subscriber, uh, please upload them. I'd love to see uh, where they're like my little babies that go out into the world. I want to see what they're doing, my little presets. Um, yes. So please uh, share them either on the Facebook group or tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'd love to see what you're doing with the presets. And then if you want to take your photography to the next level, you can find me in the Gold community and uh, there's over 250 tutorials and uh, heaps being added each week and I've got members of all walks of life, all ages, all stages of photography. Imagine how you'd feel if this time next year you could walk up to anyone and you had the confidence to know how to light them and know how to pose and direct them. And that's what uh, some of my members are doing right now. And that's at genomilitia.com and click on join the community. And some are doing it in less than a year. So oh my God. I'd just like to point that out. Yes. Um, yes. Just the particularly keen ones. All right. You can find me at Valerie Koo. That's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Please do join us on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit GinaMilitia.com.